Today's scripture reading is from Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the backside of your message notes or beginning on page 788 in your worship Bible. Please, fo please follow along as I read. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, where they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And then had John to assist them, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of the name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And, how, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thank you, Pat. Well, if you were with us last week, you may recall that it was extremely windy. Do any of you remember that? It was extremely windy. It's a little bit windy today, and that's, of course, giving some of you some smoke problems, I'm sure. Uh, in fact, early in my message last week, this speaker, which was on a, uh, on a stand like that, actually knocked over and fell over. I guess it survived the experience, but, you know, it was a pretty strong wind. Uh, you know, whenever we worship outdoors, we're accustomed to experiencing the effects of nature. We hear the birds. Uh, we, hear, we see the clouds, the mountain, the desert around us. We feel the sun and the shade. We smell the smoke of the campfire wiping out of our eyes sometimes. And yes, we feel the wind. And if you're here very often, you know, whenever the wind comes, I tend to say to people, well, you know, the wind reminds us of the Holy Spirit. So it is that the word translated spirit in our Bibles, and it was used three times in the text which Pat read for you, the word translated spirit in our Bibles is the words pneumatos, pneumatos, and it means wind or literally that which is breathed or blown. It's the same root word if you have something like pneumatic tires or a pneumatic drill. It's empowered by air. It makes sense, really, for if someone is alive, they are breathing, and if they stop breathing, they're no longer alive, generally speaking. The Spirit has gone out of them. Well, as I reflected on last week's message and the wind of last week and this week's text this morning, I found myself reflecting on this whole idea of the animating power of the Holy Spirit when we gather, the wind of God that hopefully is not just present through the wind that we feel, but the Spirit 
which is within us through Jesus Christ. We learned last week, if you're with us, that what distinguishes Christian worship from all other religious gatherings, or even irreligious gatherings for that matter, is that while other religious systems tell us what we do to reach God, Christianity tells us what God has done to reach us. There's a fundamental difference about that. That Christianity is good news. Other, other religions may give to us good advice, but Christianity is good news about the story we sang about earlier today, about that scandalous night when Jesus gave his life, about Christ alone who gave his life for us. Good news about a dying, resurrected Savior, that, Jesus, that good news about something that happened to Jesus and through Jesus, namely that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't return from death, but went through death into a new transformed life, which he now shares with all of creation until that final day when Jesus returns to bring new heavens and a new earth. And we also learn that when we gather, we who have responded in faith to Jesus rely on his book, the Holy Scriptures, the God-breathed Word of God, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, as our ultimate source for truth. And we believe in the life-changing power of the gospel, that transforming power, that through God's Spirit, the gospel makes a radical difference in our lives, that in some way the resurrection power of Jesus begins to animate our lives. This idea of the power of God at work in our lives is something which has captivated me this past week, and I see it especially evident in the text that we look at this morning. If you're first time with us, we just take the, we're taking the book of Acts a paragraph or so at a time, and so this is where we are, the 13th chapter, which Acts read for you. Three times, uh, did I just say something? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes, as my dad used to always say, your tang gets all tangled up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll leave that as it is. Um, three times in the space of these 12 verses, there is mention of the Spirit of God. Verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Verse 4, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 9, But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said. Clearly, something supernatural and spiritual is happening. There's a wind of God not just blowing through their company in the general sense, but within and through their gathering together. Clearly, in that fellowship, the Holy Spirit was in charge of what was happening in that group. He talked to the church while they prayed. He sent out two key leaders on a special mission. He told the apostles what to say. You see, everything is animated and begins with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this text and ask a question or so. Ask ourselves, what does it look like when the Spirit of God works in a Christian community? What does it look like when the Spirit of God is evident in a Christian gathering? Or we might ask it this way, how do we know that God's wind is blowing among us and through us? What are some of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work in a church family? and in our lives. We can't see the wind, but we can see its effects. In the same way, we maybe can't see the Spirit, but we can see the Spirit's effects. What were the Spirit's effects in that fellowship? Now, we could have done this sermon at any time during the course of Acts, but I just thought it was uh, clear in this text that we would use it, uh, we'd use it as our guide as our guide as we think through these issues. I'd like you to see several things, and you could jot these down in your message notes in 
uh, in, in, as, as I mentioned for you. The first thing that you need to know about the wind of God, the Spirit of God among us is this. When the wind of God blows among us, the Spirit eradicates racism. You weren't expecting that one, were you? Let's look what happens. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and now they're listed. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We find five key leaders mentioned probably in order of importance, as was typical in that day. And we, to us, maybe they're just names. But if you look carefully at these names, you will see that there is evidence that racial boundaries have been busted up in that church family. It was already evident in the family of uh, that church as we looked at a few weeks ago. This church in Antioch was the first time that a church had been made up primarily of non-Jewish people. And there was a great uh, blessing of God that happened as people from various races and backgrounds joined together in Christian community all around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just the rank and a file. It was actually the leadership. This was a diverse church. Who are the people? Well, we see, first of all, Barnabas, and then lastly, Saul. These are Jews, all right? We know about them, perhaps. They were raised in Judaism. They were devout Jews. Paul himself had been, Saul himself had been a devout, zealous Pharisee, miraculously converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now was a follower of Jesus. But then we see this person whose name is Simeon, who was called Niger. This means that Simeon was called the black man. Niger means black. This is, a, uh, uh, the, uh, this is a direct reference to the fact that this was a man, probably from Cyrene, possibly, where he was, uh, he was actually of a black, uh, we would call uh, uh, an African-American at this point, but at that point he was a black man and he was a key leader. In fact, some have speculated, and this is purely speculation, that this may have been Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. If you remember in Mark chapter 15 and verse 21, it says this, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. If you notice with the last week, these references to individual names, why? So that you could check the witnesses and also because these were names that some of the readers would have known. Simon of Cyrene. Why would you care about Simon of Cyrene? Except perhaps he became a follower of Jesus and perhaps then later he's, meant, he's in, important that a lot of people would, would know him. Like if I said, and one of them was Bill Gates, we'd say, well, oh yeah, I know who that is, Right? And that, and I'm not saying that he was like that, but, but it was someone who was numb. So this guy, Simon, the black man, may have been Simon the Cyrene. We don't know, but we don't, why is the name mentioned? Because he was a witness and because he became important in the Christian community. We don't know a lot about him, but we know he was a black man. So we have two Jewish people and one black person. And remember, this church was made of non-Jewish people. Then we have a guy named Lucius of Cyrene. And he was one of those who first preached along with Simeon. We don't know who he was, except that he also was from Cyrene, but didn't have the nickname uh, as a black man. Okay, could have been Middle Eastern and looked more or Arabic in his background. And then this uh, next one, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, who is this guy, Menaean? Now, when it says lifelong friend in our version, some versions even translate it, 
foster brother. It was a term often used when you had someone who was of royalty, like Herod the Tetrarch, as a young child or a young man, but there were other people who were part of the royal house, part of the household, but were not themselves royalty. They were wealthy people. They were friends, good friends, close friends, foster brothers even. He was a lifelong friend. He grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so this guy, Manaean, that tells us, uh, 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 here's what F.F. Bruce says about him. Uh, it was a term given to boys who were the same age as the royal prince and were brought up in the same household. This tells us that Manaean was a part of the extreme upper class. He was not royalty himself, but wealthy enough to be a childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Which Herod, you say? You didn't say that, but I said it for you. Which Herod? Because we know there are lots of Herods. He grew up with the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. He grew up with the same Herod to whom Jesus went before his trial, right? When they brought him to Herod, this Herod. This Herod had been really good friends with Manaean. Now think about it. Two guys grow up. One of them ends up beheading John the Baptist, and the other one ends up becoming a key leader in the church at Antioch. We see this was a guy who would be a mortal enemy of most Jewish people, even most Christian people. So we have this church made together of various races. You see, the implications of this are, re are important for us. The Holy Spirit breaks down racial barriers. These men were divided by culture, by nationality, by upbringing, by economic uh, background, by country. They were divided by everything imaginable, but they were brought together by Christ Jesus. The Spirit made them recognize one another as brothers. Clearly, an evidence that the Spirit was blowing among them was this. Racial barriers were destroyed. Now, I don't have to tell you this is not news to you, but we live in a hugely divided country. We live in a hugely divided country. Christians ought to be at the forefront of bringing people together. That's an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. That means we need to be careful how we talk about people who are different than us. That means we need to be careful how we talk about people who believe differently than us, who act differently than us, who vote differently. We need to be careful. We need to be loving and accepting to as many people as we can. We, uh, the, the, these men were divided, but God brought them together. And we who live just this week on the news, you had evidence of how racially divided we are. Does the gospel have anything to say to that? Yes. The Bible says Jesus came to destroy the wall of hostility that existed between people groups and make of them one new man out of the two. We need to be very concerned about both the history of racism and the current practice of racism in our country as well. These are complex issues without simplistic answers, but this is what the Bible teaches. I don't know what this means for you in your practical life, but take it from God. It's there. We, we still maintain racial distinctions. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. Notice they're all together, but they still have their language differences. Something beautiful about that. You see, we need to be very careful about racism, and I think we are racist anytime I forget that, first of all, every human being is created in the image of God and deeply loved by Him and should be deeply loved by us as well. I mean, even the first Thanksgiving, if you remember your stories, what happened? You had these pilgrims and these Indians. I remember as a young child reading the story of Squanto, you know, who taught the people how to make corn. But they celebrated together, and that harmony didn't last very long, did it, before it broke up. So if you want to celebrate Thanksgiving well, let's be concerned and be aware that one of the things that the Spirit does is He brings people together. Let's help one another to follow the Spirit in that regard. Okay, secondly, when the wind of God blows among us, the Spirit energizes worship. When the wind of God blows among us, the Spirit energizes worship. You know, I used to play the trumpet in high school. I was not really great at it, but I was decent at it. But, you know, it took wind to make that thing make noise. It took wind. You had to blow through it and develop strong muscles, but support it from below and, and send the tone out. When we sang today, it took wind to do that. The Holy Spirit is the wind which energizes our worship. Verse, chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see, they were worshiping and the Spirit spoke to them. It was during their worship that the Spirit spoke clearly. It has been true throughout history that a key evidence of the Spirit of God that is moving among people is that their worship is alive and vibrant. When you walk into a worship gathering, you ought to see and feel and hear something that feels like God. I hope that happens when you meet. I hope that when you greet one another, you're aware that the image of God is within them, that as we read the Word of God, that you realize this is God's inspired Word. As you sing the words or hear this word sung, you think, oh, what beautiful truth this is. I'm glad it's true, even if it doesn't feel like it for me today. The Spirit energizes worship. You know, a few hours from now, a lot of people are going to gather, well, in football stadiums around this country. In fact, they're probably already there at a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, at 2 o'clock today, our Cardinals are going to be playing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's right. This is Arizona, easy, not Washington. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when people go into that stadium, they come in there with a great deal of anticipation and energy and expectation before a single ball is kicked, before a single tackle is made, before a single interception is made, before a single touchdown happens, before anybody does anything, often for hours before there, people gather in anticipation so that when they gather, there is tremendous energy in that place of worship, which is what it generally is, right? And part of it, and that is America's religion in a lot of ways, um, and what I want you to see is that 
The football stadium in the game did not make that happen. The people brought that into the stadium. They brought into them the expectation. It's great because they decided individually, we're going to have a great time. This is going to be fun, and I hope my team wins, right? They bring in, and too often when we gather for worship, we come in and we say, this better be good. This better be good. Oh, I hope we don't sing that song. Why that song? Right? Why don't they do one I like? You know what I mean? No, we need to come in with that spirit of anticipation and expectation. And when the spirit is part of a church family, that's what happens. Worship starts before they ever even arrive. Am I right? I'm right. Yeah, I can get an amen on this. Not on the racism stuff, but on the worship stuff I can get. No, it's all good. We all, you know, really the gospel ought to challenge us. If we don't feel uncomfortable once in a while, we're probably only massaging our own egos, right? Okay? So, but they come in with energy, and, and, and we need to come in with energy. We need to come in with enthusiasm. You know the word enthusiasm means? Possessed by a God. Possessed by God. And theos, enthusiasm. It is God which generates enthusiasm. The Holy Spirit does that, and as we respond to that, you know, this, this instrument here, if I were to sing a G note. La. If I sing that note, you can't tell it, but the G string on this instrument is vibrating. It hears the note and it responds to that. These are called harmonics, right? When the Holy Spirit is speaking to a receptive heart, we vibrate. We respond to that. You come in, you hear the gospel story, and something within you goes, oh, yeah. That's good, right? That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit brings about that. And it's our responsibility, I think, to come with the Spirit. The Spirit is not here before you get here. <laughs> the Spirit's within us as we come with the Holy Spirit together. All right, enough of that. Number three, when the wind of God blows among us, the Spirit sends on mission the Spirit sends on mission. One of the mistakes that we make is we think the Holy Spirit here is, is here to make me feel good, make me have an experience. No, he's, sent, he's here to empower me to do the God thing in my world, in my place where I live. So when they gathered for worship, the Holy Spirit said to them, I don't know the verses, three or four or something, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the mission to the work to which I have called him them. And when they fasted and prayed, they sent them off. The Spirit didn't just gather, it sent. And, it, and when we, so when we gather, we don't gather in order to just get um, uh, an experience, but rather to be uh, prepared to go out and to be used by God in God's mission. So verse 4 says this, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So we're going to end this worship service in a few minutes, and you're going to get sent out by the Holy Spirit. We're called to faith. This is the three statements about our church. We're called to faith in the gospel of Christ gathered in love as the community of Christ, sent with hope on the mission of Christ. The Spirit wasn't given to give you a good feeling, 
but to empower you for mission. We're called to be living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus, becoming a community of faith and love and hope. When the Spirit is active in a church family, that church family goes out into the trailer park where they live, into the neighborhood where they live, into the office where they work, into the, uh, the ball games that they go to watch, and the Holy Spirit is with them as they do that. Isn't that great to know? Yeah. All right, number next. When this wind of God blows among us, this Spirit confronts rebellion. Now, this isn't just feel good. We've got to think about some of this. Notice what happens. They go into that one place, and uh, there is Elimus the magician, and it says he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crook, crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, convicts us. And this is an example where the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul, there's a guy here who needs to take a careful look at his life. And if you think Paul and the Holy Spirit were being kind of mean to that guy, just remember something. How did Paul come to know Christ? The same way. Wasn't it Paul struck with blindness for a period of time? And didn't that lead to his ultimately responding in faith to the gospel? You see, the Holy Spirit speaks to us about our need for change, but he does it because he wants to bring about change in us. And so when you come together for worship or when we read the Scriptures together or in our time of prayer alone, suddenly the Lord seems to say to us things that challenge us. He doesn't do it to make us feel bad, but he does confront our rebellion. Yeah, the Spirit convicts as well. And finally, when the wind of God blows among us, the Spirit enables conversion. The Spirit enables conversion. Verse 12, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The Holy Spirit used that experience, Paul's teaching, and probably the, the blindness given to that man. And the proconsul who was looking for spiritual truth, a Roman official, who says, I want to know more about this. He's astonished, not just by what he sees, because it says he was astonished by what he heard about the teaching of the Lord. And we'll learn about what Paul taught in various contexts next week. But one thing you know is that Paul always talked about Jesus, the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is a life-changing story. And so let us be people animated by the Spirit of God. Let us see it evident in the way that we gather with enthusiasm for worship, how we hear your word, His Word, and how we go out from there to be agents of God's new creation in this world, beginning by breaking down barriers everywhere. They're all around you. Pay Just maybe pray this prayer. Lord, show me the barriers that I've let come up the way you talk to people, the way you respond to people, the things you do, you'll see them. They're all over. The Spirit wants to break those down. 
And perhaps then today you want to respond to this message about Jesus. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual today is I'm going to, I'm going to sing a song to you, for you, as we close our time together. I began by talking about the wind of God. And I came across a little tune about the wind of God, the Spirit of God. I feel the winds of God today. Today my sail I lift Though heavy off with drenching spray And torn with many a rift If hope but light the water's crest And Christ my bark
And some of us have crashed and shipwrecked on the side of life. And we feel that it's over. Thank you that you never give up for us on us. That your spirit is always breathing life into us. Help us to put that, that bark back together, that little boat back together. Help us to put up our sail and say, okay, Lord, I'm ready for another cruise. Help us to become people about whom it is evident that the Spirit of God is working in their lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.